Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I'm so glad you're my neighbor, each of you. Well, praise the Lord. Jesus is Lord and He is worthy of our hearts and our devotion. I want to read two scriptures up front today from the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, as the Apostle John records, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to preach a message today titled, Neighboring, Neighboring. And before I do, I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I yield to the precious gift, the Holy Spirit, that the words would be more than words, they would be a manifestation of Christ and His kingdom to hearts and to minds, to this community. That, Lord, You who began a good work would bring it to completion, that You would grow us, Lord, and the practical outworking of the love we have received in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your lordship. Thank you, the powers of darkness and demons that despise the reality of your love and your truth, that they are bound and defeated. We ask that the benefits of the blood of Jesus be applied over this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, throughout history, many... Movements and denominations have been clear about laboring. Laboring and working for the kingdom of God. And such laboring is a vital aspect of our high calling in Christ Jesus as the body of Christ. For instance, we must be mindful of what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here it is. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So rightly so that in the history of Christianity and followers of Jesus, there has been an emphasis and understanding that we are called to labor. In fact, Paul uh, mentioned it's a labor of love. That our love for Jesus leads us to labor, to work for Him and His kingdom. But with that being said, something is often overlooked when we talk about laboring. And we talk about working for the Lord. In fact, sometimes the character of the workman or the character of the workwoman is overlooked. Notice Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he mentions about be steadfast, immovable. Well, you don't get that without Christ being formed in a person without the character of Christ being formed in the workman or the workwoman. Oftentimes, we forget about the way of the workman. It's one thing to be working. It's another thing to talk about how I'm working. What's the attitude? What's the motivation? What's the method of my work? Or what about the relationships of the workman or the workwoman? What I'm saying is, is what is often overlooked is that there is a laboring That is what I'm calling today neighboring. Neighboring. When we think about laboring for the Lord and we think about the labor in the kingdom of God, the labor in the kingdom of God includes neighboring. For neighboring is laboring. Now let me define up front today what I mean by neighboring. Talking about neighboring is laboring in our relationships. For those of us that are married... Neighboring is laboring regarding our marital relationship. Laboring, or neighboring is laboring in our relationships with one another, in our friendships, in our connect groups, in the local church, in our child raising. 
neighboring is laboring. This brings us back to our main text. Jesus, the King of the kingdom, said there in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. Notice this, by this. All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This love that Jesus is talking about, this love that is rooted and found in experiencing His love for us is stronger than the opinions of man. It's stronger than our difference in opinions. It's stronger than the difference of the color of skin. It's stronger than wrong mentalities. It's stronger than immaturity. It's stronger than diversity or social dynamics. It's stronger than political persuasion. It's stronger than the male and female genders and economic backgrounds. There is a love in Jesus that is stronger than all of those things. I think about what Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend said. said, immature love seeks sameness and similarity. Immature love seeks sameness and similarity. But there is a mature love that comes from the throne of God through Jesus Christ. A love that it can bind us and hold us together that is stronger than the differences that I mentioned. Now when we talk about in practice, in living out in all practicality this love of God, there is in all of this a laboring in neighboring. I think about what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4 and verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you know what? That starts with me. You know what? That starts with you individually. Why? Because none of us first naturally considers that we might be the source of that which seeks to break the bonds of love and peace. Have you ever found that? I've I've at times wanted to cuss out my computer. I mean, I I literally wanted to absolutely let my computer have it because I thought it wasn't functioning the way it was supposed to. And come to find out, the problem wasn't the computer. I was entering the wrong command. You ever had that? Where your tendency, my tendency, our tendency, is never to think that what is seeking to break the bonds of love and peace, that we might be the source of it. This is just another reason why Jesus, when He talks about the culture of His followers and the culture of His kingdom, He said, first take the beam out of your own eye before you seek to take the speck out of your brother's and sister's eye. Notice Paul there speaks of this bond of peace. This bond of peace. This bond of peace is the fruit of heavenly wisdom. In James 3, James writes about the distinguishing uh, characteristics between demonic wisdom, earthly, sensual, fleshly, human wisdom, and the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom of God. And he says the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, but watch this, then peaceable. So when Paul talks about this bond of peace, he's saying that wisdom leads to bonding, a bonding of peace. But in order for that to happen, he mentions an interesting word, endeavoring. Endeavoring. You know what that word means in Greek? It means to exert oneself, to give effort towards. Think about that exerting oneself, giving effort towards. Well, you you know what that is? That's laboring language. When, When you hear exert oneself, when you hear give efforts towards, what is that? That's laboring language. This is laboring is neighboring. Neighboring is laboring. What does the Scripture say that this experiential love from following Jesus leads to? Remember Jesus said, listen, now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we're no longer to love others as we love ourselves. We're now to love based on our experience of His love for us. What does this lead to? Well, it leads to what Romans 13.10 says, the Apostle Paul writing the church in Rome. He says, listen, love does no harm to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law there Paul is referring to is the Old Testament, the law of Moses. Because in the law of Moses, the essence of the law of Moses was to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, love does no harm to a neighbor. And therefore, love fulfills the essence of the old covenant, the old commands. Understand, there is a huge misconception in the days we live in that we must address this morning. When Paul says love does no harm to a neighbor, this doesn't mean no harm does not always equate to no hurt feelings. There's a huge misconception in the days we live in that if it hurts my feelings, then that is, you have harmed me. That is not biblically true. When Paul says love does no harm, it is not the synonymous with love doesn't hurt our feelings. Listen to me. Feelings don't like truth. And it's not just my feelings that doesn't like truth. It's your feelings does not like truth. Listen to me. Your feelings don't like the reality that if you do not live a healthy lifestyle, you're not going to live as long as you could. My feelings don't like that. When I see my youngster coming out with a thing of Oreos and he's just eating them in front of my face one after another, my feelings don't like that I'm not his age and has some space of grace to eat things that's not going to help edify and build up my body. Listen, your feelings do not like the reality that if you do not experience change, then you will not embrace change in your future. That if you do not embrace a willingness to change, then you will not experience change. My feelings don't like that. How about this one? If you continue to smoke, you will inevitably have consequential health issues. Feelings don't like that truth. If you continue to live for now and live off of credit with no regards to your future, the future you is being sold into slavery by the present you. Feelings don't like truth. You cannot live life any way you want and never be brought into account for it. That hurts my will. That, that hurts my wants. That I just can't live any way I want and never have to give an account for it. What about this one? The biggest problems of your life will flow from your own heart. Many people today think if I just had more money, that would solve the issues of life. And yet, we know it's a lie. There's people that's got more money than all of us combined, and yet they're miserable. Some of you, you're saying, if I could just be married. Oh, if I was just like Zach and Priscilla, and I was celebrating today my engagement... I would be fulfilled in life, so content. We know that's not the reality. There are people that are married and yet miserable. There are people who say, oh, if I could just have less neighbors. I don't need any more neighbors. If I could just live alone on an island, just me and Jesus and the sweet comfort of the Holy Spirit, I would be such a man of God. But yet we know that's not true. There are people alone, and yet they're miserable. Some people say, if I could just have a family, if I could just be married, if I could just have kids, if I could just have the number of kids that I want, that I'm planning for, that I'm hoping for, then I will be fulfilled. But yet that's not true. There are many people that married and have a family, and yet they're miserable. There's people that live in a monastery, and they're miserable. Because the biggest problems of life that we face flow from our own heart. Listen, if you do not seek first the kingdom of God, you will never seek it. That hurts my feelings. But truth normally hurts our feelings. Because feelings fluctuate, but God's truth is fixed. And that which is unchanging confronts that which changes my feelings, my emotions. If you're too busy to be involved in the advancement of the kingdom of God, then you're too busy. I never met someone's feelings that likes that truth. 
You don't have enough margin. If you do not let the Word of God and the Spirit of God confront your past, listen, it will also be your future. So no harm that Paul says love does not. Love brings no harm, does not equate to no hurt feelings. Love does no harm, listen, because love always seeks the benefit of another. Maybe Gary Thomas and how he defines love will help you today. He says, love is a disposition to do what is best for the other. Out of the inner compulsion from the Holy Spirit to serve the person's best interest. See, love does no harm because love always seeks the benefit of another. But love sometimes hurts the feelings of others in order that the goal of them benefiting in the things that matter most in life would take place. See, love does no harm because it leads to edification. But often love hurts in order for edification to take place. Romans chapter 15 and verse 2. Paul tells the church there at Rome, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Notice he says leading to. Let's talk about what the goal, the end in mind that Paul has here regarding this. The goal in mind is edification. The goal is the act of building up. That's what edification means. It means to edify, to to build up. It means the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, and holiness. There's the key. Biblical edification doesn't mean that feelings won't be hurt in the process. But it's biblical edification because it's promoting the growth in the things that matter most, being conformed to the image of Jesus. Growing in godly wisdom. Growing in Christ's holiness. So love does not harm against another's growth in godly wisdom. Love does not harm against another's growth in holiness. Love does not harm or hinder another person in following Jesus Christ. Love does not harm against another's growth in likeness. Notice he said, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Now listen, what does that not mean? Well, pleasing our neighbor never means being unpleasing to the Lord who enlisted us. When Paul talks about learning and growing in this love of pleasing our neighbor, he's not saying that pleasing our neighbor leads to us being unpleasing to the Lord, the one who enlisted us. This is not just pleasing our neighbor for our neighbor's sake, but it's pleasing our neighbor for the Lord's sake. It's pleasing our neighbor for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom's sake. In fact, there if you go and read the context of what Paul's saying there in Romans 15, he's talking about individual liberties that's given to us as followers of Jesus under the new covenant, like what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. Things that can be outwardly observed. He's saying that in the things of our life that can be outwardly observed from others, let's not just live to please ourselves, but let's please our neighbor for the Lord's sake. Let's not do things that can be outwardly observed that would hinder others being edified and growing in godly wisdom, growing in Christ-likeness, growing and having a desire to know Jesus in His way. So it's not just pleasing our neighbor for our neighbor's sake, but for the Lord's sake. So when he says that the goal is to lead to edification, to lead to someone being built up in the the ways of the Lord and Christ-likeness and growing in godly wisdom and and holiness and God's will for their life. For it to lead to edification, listen, it cannot be against the truth. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. He's the ultimate truth. Jesus Himself testifies. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And he's the only one who said that he would be crucified, died, and yet would be raised again. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. This is what the Apostle John says in John 1 and 17. Notice this. He says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, the law was truth, but it was truth for truth's sake. Because God makes it very clear in the New Testament that He gave the Old Testament law to reveal the knowledge of sin. So the law was truth, but it was truth for truth's sake. To show where we were untrue, where we were unrighteous, where we had not lived up. But notice what comes through Jesus Christ in the new covenant. It's not just truth, but through Jesus comes grace and truth. See, the law only told them what was right and wrong, but it could not provide any space, any grace to empower and enable them to do what it said. But through Jesus comes grace and truth. Jesus has now brought in this spaciousness, what is referred to as grace, so that now we can be enabled, we can be safe, we can be secure in order to, watch this, be willing to let the truth build us up and edify us. Watch this, even when it hurts our feelings. So let me talk for a moment about grace for the edification of another. We're in this series talking about loving our neighbor and won't you be my neighbor? And Jesus says, listen, I want my love to be a witness to the world. But for that love to be a witness to the world and to the unbelievers and to the seekers, we first have to experience His love and learn how to practice that love amongst ourselves. So what that means is we have to learn that just like Jesus was full of grace and truth, that we need grace towards others for their edification. What does that mean? It means, listen, grace for another is a stance of being for the person. See, notice it first said, come through Jesus, grace and truth. And that's why we're dealing with grace for the edification of another first. So often, many of our disposition is we first want to minister truth to a person. But notice, grace and truth came. Meaning, we have to first have a disposition towards people that we are for them. We're not against them. That we value them, not because their life is doing what is beneficial before God, for themselves, for others, for the community, for the nation, but we value them because they're made in the image of God, even if that image has been marred through sin and selfishness and the work of Satan in their life. There has to be a disposition that we are for the good of the person. And what this means is, is we provide a place for them to be accepted as they are made in the image of God. That they know that we honor them. Not because everything they do is honorable, but because God, the one and only true God, formed them in their mother's womb. And they have to be honored as one created in the image of God. And listen, that acceptance, they can't feel like it's something that is earned. It's something that's freely given because God has given them value in the fact that they are made in His image. Listen, this is how people grow. You can go read it, Dr. Uh, Cloud. He has a whole book called How People Grow. And as Christian counselors, they have lived out this reality for decades that, that people can desire to grow, but without necessary ingredients, they can't grow. And one of those necessary ingredients is they have to have a sense that they are accepted and valued as they are, not just as they will be. I like what they say in another place. Dr. Cloud and Townsend says, A viewpoint is one thing. Reality is another. And they need to be dealt with separately. But you need to deal with them in the right order. Validation comes first, and then reality. 
People are much more open to hearing facts after their viewpoint has been validated. What's he saying? He's speaking to this core issue of what came through Jesus' grace and truth. There has to first be this experience of grace that we validate the value that they as a person hold because God made them. That we actually care for them. We care and we're compassionate for them. Listen, that we don't just care to get our point of view or get truth out of us into them, but we actually care for them. We don't just care for a goal. We care for them. See, listen, Proverbs 29, 19 speaks to this. Solomon, in the wisdom he got from God, understood this. He said, a servant will not be corrected by mere words. For though he understands, he will not respond. How often in our relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's for those of us that are married, or whether it's in connect groups and dealing with the one another of of brothers and sisters, how often are we seeking to bring correction and alignment in a person's life just through mere words? But listen, if a person has a servant's mentality, mere words they will not receive to correct them and, and edify them to be willing to change. What's a servant's mentality? A servant's mentality is someone who has no sense of being valued as a person, as being honored, as made in the image of God. They believe they can only be validated, they can only be accepted based off of their performance. It's a servant's mentality. That if I serve good enough, if I perform good enough... Only then can I feel loved, accepted. Only then can I feel this space of grace. And servants' mentalities won't be corrected by truth because in order for people to grow and to accept the truth that oftentimes hurts our feelings, we have to first have the experience that not just God is for me, but the people that represent Him, His body, is also for me. And they're for me not based on my performance, not based on how I serve. They're for me because I'm made in the image of God and in me there is innate value that they're honoring because I'm made in the image of God. I think about Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan in their movie, Rush Hour. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? And how often in marriage do I want to look at my wife and say, Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And she don't understand. Why? Because when I care more about getting my point across and I want to skip the place of grace and get right to truth, of someone is not in a posture to be able to receive just words. People don't want just mere words. They want an experience of grace. And the experience that I'm for you, I value you, even if we differ, even if we see things different, I still want God's best for you. It's that experience that allows people then to be able to be in a place to grow from the truth that will hurt their feelings at times. See, something that is very important to understand is the distinction between being accepted as a human made in the image of God and having actions or attitudes and behaviors that are unacceptable. There is a distinction between that. And someone that has a servant's mentality doesn't have that understanding. They think that their value and their identity is only wrapped up in what they do or what they don't do. So if you confront what they're doing or what they're not doing, because their identity and value is so wrapped up in performance, they cannot receive even the truth to correct and help them. A servant's mentality will always be defensive because they think that 
their acceptance and their ability to be loved is based only on their serving and their performance. So grace for the edification of another also includes providing for people a place for the process of growing. That we understand that people have to have a place that allows them to enter and engage in the process of growing in truth and God's will. Providing for people a place for repentance. That we actually have a stance towards people that regardless of your past and regardless of what you've believed in the past and regardless of how you've lived and what you've done, we provide and believe that there is space for you to change your mind and change the preference of your will and you can have a different future than your past. This is providing a place for repentance, for change, for forgiveness. This is grace for the edification of another. Secondly, Notice it wasn't just grace that came through Jesus Christ. There's also truth. So let me talk for a moment about truth for the edification of another. When you think about the days we live in with social media and all forms of social media, hopefully by now it's become clear to you that most use social media to speak their truth, not necessarily the truth. And one of the reasons, I don't have time to go into it in depth today, but research shows that when you talk about yourself or express yourself, it lights up the pleasure centers of the brain. That's why our natural tendency of humans is to be selfish because sin has so affected us that when we focus on ourselves and talk about ourselves, we get pleasure out of it. So people use social media not necessarily to speak the truth for the benefit to build up another. They speak for their own good, to express their own feelings, their own opinions, to release the pressure. And Proverbs says that is the way of the fool. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool vents all their feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Meaning, most people engage in social media at times to distract them. To distract themselves from what? Their current difficulty, their current dysfunction, or their current disorder. But there is truth for the edification of another. There's truth that can flow out of this experience of Jesus' love that's not even for my own benefit. It is solely for the benefit of another. Another huge misconception in the day we live in is regarding the issue of tolerance. So often people say, of course I'm loving. Of course I love people. I'm tolerant. I'm tolerant. But many people are taking tolerance to a wrong extreme. Because if you mean you're so tolerant that you tolerate not telling them what Jesus said, then that's not biblical tolerance. Because Jesus said that He wants people that's not just the shame of Him, but are also not ashamed of His words. See, a lot of people don't have an issue with Jesus because as long as it's just Jesus, they can sort of make Jesus into their own image. But they have an issue actually with what Jesus said. Because when you accept what Jesus said, then you can't make Jesus into what you want Him to be. You have to take Him for what He declared Himself to be and what He declared to be ethically right and wrong. Listen, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He only speaks truth. But listen, He only speaks truth in love. He only speaks truth, not for the benefit of Himself, but for the benefit of others. And this is why time He said, leave people alone. Because if I speak truth to them, it's not going to benefit them. Jesus wasn't just trying to get His point across. As the embodiment of truth, when He spoke truth, it was for the benefit of another. The Spirit of wisdom only has right words upon His lips, Proverbs says. Meaning, Jesus and the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak truth, but speaks truth in season, in the right season. I don't know about you, but I have in relationships, whether it's in marriage relationship or in child raising or in friendships, 
have sought to minister truth before not just having a disposition that the person knows I'm for them, but before depending on wisdom is and is it the right season. And one of the things I want to leave you today to remember that I believe will help you in your relationships is to learn to ask before give. If you will begin to re- remind yourself when you're in moments of conversation and dealing with friends or your spouse, if you'll just in the heat of the emotions, in the moment of tension, remind yourself, wait a minute, Chad, ask before give. When I, when I feel such a, a desire and sort of a drive to just speak the truth in the moment, if I remind myself to ask before give, what does that mean? Listen, just ask the person. Before you give advice or counsel or truth about a situation, just ask if you can communicate and speak truth to them regarding that subject. Listen. Because if they're not in a posture ready to receive, then I can speak truth, but the truth can do more harm if a person is not in a posture willing to receive from me. I have to value relationships more than just me getting off my sense of speaking truth. So what you learn to do is you ask before you give. Why? Listen to me. This addresses the depth of the relationship. This addresses the depth of the connection. Do you know the depth of the relationship and the depth of the connection determines the amount of truth that can be administered and received? This is what Jesus said. Jesus tells the parable of the soil. We normally call it the parable of the sower. But it's both. What it's saying is is that the soul, the person's heart, determines the amount of truth that can be received. And so, if you'll ask before you give, you're making sure that the person has a heart that's willing and in a season and ready to hear or to at least engage in the truth that you want to communicate. It's simple, but it will be life-changing. In relationships, if you'll ask before or give. See, listen to me. Jesus gave His life, His leadership, and the experience of His love to the twelve before He gave them a new commandment. Think about it. In our text, He says, a new commandment I give to you. But what did He give to them first before He communicated that to them in John 13? He had given His life, His leadership, the reality that He's for them, for their good. He wants them to experience God's best and God's kingdom. He gave them the experience of His love before He gave them a new commandment in truth. And that's what we're seeing. That through Jesus Christ came grace, I'm for you, and I'll show you that by giving you my life that my, my influence in your life is not for me, it's that I'm here because I want to see God's best in your life, then, and only then, do you find people are really able to receive truth. So ask before give is this. It looks practically of loving people by listening. Loving people by listening. Many of us, sometimes some of us more than others, but... We have a primary disposition and inclination that to love people means to always speak truth to them. And what this speaks to is that actually love also looks like listening. Ask before give. Listen before seeking to impart. The other thing that I believe will help us today is learning to give before get. Not just ask before give, advice and counsel and truth, but give before get. What does this mean? Listen, we all have needs. We we all have a desire to, to be understood, to be heard. We have desires, those of us that are married, desires for our wife in the relationship, 
to us. We, in our friendship, have desires of what that relationship would look like. We have needs and we have desires. But listen, when we talk about biblical love, a simple thing that will help frame you to grow in practicing and living it out in reality and learning the neighboring. The laboring is neighboring, is to give before get. Mean love by looking. Love by first looking on how you can give them the experience of God's love before you look to others to get the experience of God's love from them. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 2, Paul continues. We saw this, but I'm going to read the very next verse that confirms this give before get. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Here it says, let us learn to please our neighbor for the goal of them being edified in, the, in God's plan and God's holiness and in Christ's likeness and God's truth for them. But then what does it say? For even Christ did not please himself. What did this not pleasing himself look like? He took the reproaches of those who reproach God, fell on him. What's that mean? He loved first. Jesus gave first. Give of yourself before you seek to get from others the needs for yourself. This is biblical love. Biblical love. The majority of relationships start off not on the foundation of biblical love. Whether it's friendships, whether it's marriage, is that often what first brings the attraction and brings the grounds for the relationship is a person or persons that is meeting a felt need in our life. We want to be around someone funny, and this person is funny, so guess what? We like them. We want to build that relationship. What is the initial posture is what? Entering the relationship to get, not to give. But all of us who are born again are now a partaker of the divine nature, which is the nature of love, meaning we have been thrust into a journey when you confess Jesus as Lord, to learn to no longer seek in marriage and relationships our self as the priority, but to learn to prioritize the benefit and the needs of others before ourselves. And this is not natural. And it's not fun. That's why Jesus, when He said, if you're going to follow me, He don't give us a picture of an amusement park or a cruise ship or a vacation. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Learning to give before get. So many people, relationships are in a standstill. Marriages are in a standstill because both parties are entering the discussion. Both parties looking to the other to, for them first to give before they, to receive before they'll give. And the relationship is now hostage. Now it's hostage. You're not going to be willing to change, not willing to do anything until the other first gives you and meets your need before you'll be willing to meet their need. But listen, if God would have done that for us, none of us would ever be saved. If God would have waited for us to first give something of value and worth to Him before He gave us grace, none of us would be saved. What did God do? He first gave us His Son. He gave us His only begotten Son. This is the divine love of God that is stronger than opinions, stronger than differences, stronger... And social economics and all the distinctions, it is a bond of love that is so strong. Why is it so strong? Because it's not built based on whether the person gives me first what I want. I have a benevolence seeking to love and give them what they need and desire. As long as it doesn't go against pleasing my king. So there's truth for the edification of another, but there's grace for the edification of another. This brings up the issue of time. Time. There has to be the space in our relationships, in our friendships, in our connect groups, in our one anothering, for the individual's will to be exercised. Yes, listen, the kingdom is now. 
Yes, today is the day of salvation. Yes, God has the power to do it now. But the reason why God is slow in situations and the reason why God is so patient is that He will not override the right and authority He gave an individual to make a choice and decide. So part of being for another is also creating time for people to be edified through grace, edified in truth. So we love my listening. We love my looking for opportunities to give and demonstrate practically love in their areas of need before we seek to get. We ask before give, we give before get. But listen, neighboring is laboring because this takes work, intentionality, and it takes being willing to grow and to learn. In Zechariah chapter 8, we find a type. Paul said that all Scripture, he goes on in Romans 15 saying, all the Old Testament Scriptures testify to fulfillment and substance that we find in Christ and in the New Covenant. And in Zechariah chapter 8, God uses the prophet Zechariah to talk about the Lord's zeal for His intention. His ultimate intention of why He created the earth, what He's working towards. And He talks about His desire and His will for Zion, that He wants to dwell in the midst of the holy Jerusalem, the city of truth. Zechariah sees this future picture of God's intention where He's dwelling amongst His people. in A city filled with truth and God's presence fills it. And then in Zechariah 8, 16 and 17, it specifically says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things that I hate, says the Lord. Notice he says, speaking truth to your neighbor. We've looked at that reality. Which brings up the question, how new actually is the new covenant? How new actually is the new? You find the essence of what God was after in the old. Loving God with all our being and loving others. What's new is the method of how to fulfill and live that out. That He knows that we in our own ability couldn't do it, so He sent His Son Christ, and He made a way for now Christ to live in us to enable us what we could not do on our own. That on our own, He knows you can't love my listen. That on... Your own, He knows you can't love by looking. But God made a way through the gospel to put the Spirit of His Son, Christ, in us so that what used to we be unable to do, He becomes the sufficiency and the enablement to now live it out. See, Paul in Ephesians 4.25 in the New Testament says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So in the Old Testament, he says, What am I after speaking truth? New Testament, what am I after speaking truth? That doesn't change. But notice one of the things he said. Give judgment in your gates for truth and justice. Let me tell you, listen, there is no justice where there is no truth. Think about that. How can justice be known without truth? Justice is founded upon truth. So true justice is dependent on God's truth. In the Old Testament law, you have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were anchor points of what loving God and loving the neighbor looked like. One of the Ten Commandments was do not covet your neighbor's, and then X, Y, Z. Don't covet your neighbor's farm. Don't covet your neighbor's land. Don't covet your neighbor's items. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Why? Because that is what justice looks like. But did you know the Old Testament law also said do not have your neighbor's work for you for free? Why? Because God's concerned with also justice. Did you know the Old Testament law says do not plan evil against your neighbor? Why? Because God desires peace on the earth and between people. Give judgment for truth, for justice, and peace. Zechariah 8, 19, come on Jesse, says, Therefore love truth and peace. Sounds like Jesus. Jesus said have peace peace within yourselves. Paul said, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourself. Don't repay no one evil for evil. So here's the question. If Jesus said, have peace within yourselves, and that's going to affect us being able to have peace with others, 
Do you speak truth to yourself? A lot of people don't have peace because they don't deal with themselves honestly. We lie to ourselves. We hide from ourselves. But do you speak truth to yourself? Here's another one. Listen, do you deal justly with yourself? Some of you are unrighteous, but you're unrighteous towards yourself. You hold over your head your past when God says, I'll forgive your sins and transgressions as far as the east and the west. And you are being unjust to yourself. So no wonder you're having problems being just in your dealings with others. You are unjust with yourself. Do you speak truth to yourself? Do you deal justly with yourself? Because you know why this is important? You go read the end of Zechariah 8 and here's what God says. Then, only then, only then, after there's truth, justice and peace, we're loving our neighbor, only then people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities shall come and seek the Lord. Listen, I'm all about seeing the mission of this church come to pass, of seeing people gathered to Jesus Christ and led to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. But what we're not about is seeing expansion on the outside and inviting people into a mess that's on the inside. No, sir. And Jesus says, listen, I want people to come. I want the witness of my lordship and my kingdom to continue to be sounded forth through this community. But the great witness comes as you learn to love one another as I have loved you. You know what this means? It means practically you're saying, Pastor Chad, wait a minute now. Love by listening, love by looking, that's very general. What about specifics? Well, Jesus said that we love one another as I have loved you. So here's what this means. It's like Jesus telling me, I don't know the way unless I know the way. What does love practically look like? I don't know the way unless I know the way Jesus. And I don't know the way if I don't follow the way. So you know what it looks like practically to start growing in practical love towards others? Is start following Jesus and living under His Lordship. Because only as you live practically under His Lordship can you experience His love. And only as you experience your love will you be empowered, have the capacity, have the know-how to know what practically loving each other looks like. I can't know what loving you looks like unless I follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about just saying Jesus is Lord 17 years ago or 10 years ago or 49 years ago. I'm talking about letting Jesus lead and be Lord of my life now. The reason why we do so bad in American Christianity of loving one another is because we're trying to find all the ways of not living under the Lordship of following Jesus. It's like Jesus saying, listen, if you don't follow me, you won't know me. And if you don't know me, you won't have the capacity to love your neighbor. And if you don't follow me, you won't know me. And if you don't know me, you won't know how to love them. Listen, I want to, in conclusion, say why I believe you and I, why we struggle to have grace towards another. Some of us, though, we struggle to be willing to speak the truth in love. Some of our marriages, some of our friendships, some of our connect groups are stuck because, listen, people are not going to deal with what needs to be dealt with in their life until truth is spoken to them in love and loving accountability. But why do we struggle at times to speak the truth in love? Why do we at times struggle to provide space of grace? Why do we struggle at times to provide people time and we want people to grow up overnight? Why do we struggle to love by listening and love by looking? Well, I believe Jesus tells us. He says in John 8, come on, man. 54 and 55, Jesus answered, said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. Yet you have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I say I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. What's Jesus saying? That when you and I seek our own honor, It keeps us from being able to know Him experientially. 
And if I'm hindering myself from knowing Jesus, I'm keeping myself from the needed capacity to keep His Word, which is to love the Father and to love others. So listen to me. When I seek my own honor, I'm still living for myself. And the reason why we struggle to speak truth and love, the reason why we struggle to give people space, and to show people that we value them in the image of God, why we want to rush things and speed things up. Listen, it's because we're living for our honor. And because we're living for our honor, we're still living for ourselves. And when we live for ourselves, listen, we feel like we have all this investment. And bless God, we're going to do everything we can to protect our investment. But listen, biblical Christianity is this I was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But the life that you now see that I'm living, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the reason why we struggle to love by listening and love by looking is that we're trying to love without laying down our own life. And to experience what Jesus called the death the dying of living for your own honor, living for your own truth, living for your own ego, is not easy. That's why he pictured it as a cross. But listen, it's only out of that that his resurrection enablement, his resurrection power to enable you to give before you get, to ask before you give is possible. And there will come a time if you're a follower of Jesus that you will find multiple, multiple circumstances in your neighboring where you're going to have to realize that neighboring is laboring and you're going to have to do the hard work like Jesus of getting in Gethsemane and praying and praying and praying until you accept that your life is no longer your life and you are dead to your own honor, you're dead to your own ego, you're dead to your own truth, you're dead to wanting your own fame, you're dead to wanting you first to get your needs so that His supernatural love can do what only it can do. Enable us to give before we get. To love by listening because we care more about the value of the person than us wanting to just get truth off of our chest. And that's why Jesus in John 15 and 13, He says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for His friends. The reason we're not laboring in neighboring is because we're laboring for ourselves. We're still laboring for our opinion. We're laboring for our truth. We're laboring for our timeline. We're laboring for our honor. We're laboring for our reputation. But Jesus said, I don't live for any of that. I live for my Father. And this is a love by laying it down. Love by laying your life down. But practically, there's an it there. For some of you, it's being willing to go to the cross first before your spouse is going to go to the cross in the issue. For some of you, it's, it's being willing to listen for a while before you have space for your friend to be open to listen and you share what's going on with you. And only the experience of Jesus' supernatural love can give you the capacity to die first so that His supernatural love can be the bond and the undergirding. Because listen, it's only that kind of love that can never fail. Listen, even if the relationship fails and breaks down, that love didn't fail. That love cannot fail. It didn't fail. See, why we struggle to provide grace to accept people as made in the image of God while we fail and being willing to boldly speak the truth in love while we fail and giving space and time to love by listening and love by looking is we're still living for ourselves. We're still living to get our needs met, our desires met, to be honored, to seem significant. We're still living for our glory. We're living for our truth. We're living to defend our reputation. And when we still live, Christ's supernatural love can't live through us. 
Listen to me. In conclusion, the best neighbor is a spirit-led follower of Jesus. The best neighbor has a supply that's not dependent on the neighbor. The best thing you can do for me in neighboring is to obey the King Jesus of Nazareth. To lay down your life. Lay down your need to be right. Lay down your need to be honored. Lay down your need to speak your truth. To defend and say it's not my life anyway. Laboring is neighboring. Because it only happens through intentionality of growing practically to learn to love by listening, love by looking, love by laying your life down. Accept the cross of Jesus, not just as Him dying, but it's the death of you living for yourself. So now you can live from His experiential, His source of love towards you that enables you to only do what His love through you can do. To be in relationships, not for primarily what you can get but what Jesus can give through you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.